Lawrence clustered on the bleachers and near the backstop. It was an all-American scene. Kids in baseball uniforms, families gathered on the grass, fireflies flashing in the air. But as any team parent knows, social intrigue often lurks beneath the Norman Rockwell surface. Real life comes with pettiness and gossip that can make people feel uncomfortable, In our case, the idle and mean-spirited talk wasn't about some neighborhood dispute or a run-of-the-mill extramarital affair. Oh, no. We had been caught up in one of the seamiest national political scandals in recent history, and just about everyone in the country, if not the world, believed they knew enough to judge us in the harshest terms. I had hoped that the man at the center of the story would have had the sense to stay home, but as we parked, I saw his familiar silver Chrysler Pacifica, which I had helped him purchase. I was startled to see that the rear bumper of the car, usually plastered with half a dozen campaign stickers, was bare. Sherry and I braced ourselves emotionally as we got the kids out of the car seats. When we closed the van doors and walked toward the diamond, it felt as if every head turned toward us. Every head, that is, except one. Out on the field was the man who had once promised me the brightest future I could imagine, and then abandoned me to national disgrace, hiding behind his sunglasses, talking on his cell phone and chatting with the boys on the Mariners team, including his own son, Jack. The players, with big ball gloves on their hands, seemed as cute as floppy-eared puppy dogs as they chased pop flies and grounders. My former friend, who beamed at them with his world-famous smile, looked like America's Father of the Year, an award he actually won in 2007. We joined the Yankees' sideline, where everyone except the kids felt the tension. Sherry and I sat alone, ignored as the other parents chatted. As the innings passed, we marveled at the way our old friend and his wife Two people who had been as close as family refused to even look in our direction. Once we would have hugged as we said hello, and then spent the entire game side by side, laughing and talking. Half the people at the park would have wandered by just to say hello. A few would have asked for favors, which were granted with a simple, "'Call Andrew and he'll take care of it.' And I would. This time there were no hugs and no jokes." and no one came to ask either of us for anything. Jack and his sister, Emma Clare, who used to play with our kids, looked at Sherry with confusion in their eyes. We had no idea what their parents had told them about us. We overheard one of the mothers in the crowd whisper something about the youngs. When the game ended, with our guys a few runs behind, so much for an undefeated season, My old friend, boss, and mentor walked the long way to his car so he could avoid us and everyone else. While other parents were still collecting empty juice boxes and tired little ball players, he and his family were halfway to their home. It was the last time I would ever see my former boss, John Edwards, once one of the most powerful politicians in the world. But it was hardly the last time I would be forced to deal with the shame, distress, and anguish that came out of my own dedicated effort to help him become President of the United States. As I write this, on a sunny midsummer morning in 2009, I am waiting for the Federal Bureau of Investigation to come sweep our home for listening devices. I called them after a couple of mysterious break-ins. 
They will find nothing, but they wanted to make sure we weren't being bugged. I'm in regular contact with the United States Department of Justice because I have just completed testimony before a federal grand jury investigating allegations of corruption in John Edwards's recent campaign for president. After I swore an oath to tell the truth, federal prosecutors questioned me for hours about huge sums of money that had quietly changed hands, and just who knew what when. The process of giving testimony is what you might expect. I sat in the witness chair, and as the men and women of the grand jury scrutinized me, the prosecutors pressed me for exact information about checks that were written, the way the money was used, and the timing of events. They wanted names, dates, and amounts in very specific terms. The ordeal was grueling, but also reassuring, because it forced me to recall and try to understand the people, events, and decisions...